Welcome to the Encounter Community Church Podcast, where we take God's Word and look at how we can utilize, practically apply it, and implement it into our lives. Welcome back to the Encounter Community Church Podcast. My name is Kim Ballard Jr., and again, I am the pastor here at Encounter Community Church. Well, this week we have the vice presidential debates. And I don't know about you, but I'm hoping it will be better than the presidential debates. And I have a feeling that it will be. When it's all said and done, I would just love to walk away with just a deeper understanding. An understanding of, for each candidate and the role for their, and their support for the boss, what is our collective goal for the future of America? What is our collective goal for addressing racial equality in America? What is the goal for the financial situation that we find ourselves in as a nation? And what is our goal to see us recover as we get to the other side of COVID? COVID? And with that in mind, with COVID, what's the plan for that? How are we going to move forward as a nation to continue to bring about healing I would just love to hear where they stand out on the issues, and hopefully uh, they will be able to represent their bosses well, uh, whoever the boss eventually of America will be. But in that, hopefully we'll get a, a good understanding of, of that and be able to decide what it is that we are going to vote. And I just want to encourage you. I, I said this on Sunday, and I want to encourage you because maybe you didn't hear the the message on Sunday but here's one of the things I, I challenge people with, and that is when it came down to the presidential debates, it, it was amazing to me on Facebook as well as on other forms of social media, just the politicized responses that I saw. When you are on the side of Biden, the people from Biden were just flabbergasted at the way that they felt like Trump conducted himself. And the people on the Trump side were frustrated because they felt like Trump was debating not only Joe Biden, but also Chris Wallace. So everybody has their own interpretation of it. And the thing that was really interesting to me is neither side was willing to look at what was the fault of my potential candidate and what are some things that they could have done better. But his was my challenge. And I want to give you that same challenge as well. Who is it that you're rooting for to win the election? Who is it that you're rooting against to win the election? And here's my challenge. Pray for both. Pray for both. If you're rooting for Trump, pray for Trump and for Biden. If you're rooting for Biden, pray for Biden and Trump. Why? Because no matter what happens, next month, one of them will be the future president of the United States. And who knows how long it's going to take before they're finishing voting up all the absentee ballots and all those other things. And I just pray that there's not too much of a controversy created from that. But who knows how this thing is going to work out and how it's going to shake down. But I, I do want to, I want to encourage you to be praying for that. So again, we are in the middle of a series called Politics and Religion. And as I said, the goal of this series is not to convince you to vote for a certain candidate or to join a certain party. It's not that at all. 
But the goal of this series is just for us to be able to examine ourselves and just realize we've got to do politics better. Now, before we get into what I wanted to talk about today, I I wanted to present some scenarios to you with asking this one simple question. What would a good Christian do? Let me say that again. What would a good Christian do? Here's the first scenario. You log into Facebook and you have a friend that you have connected with. Maybe you've been a friend for years. Maybe you work together. But you have this friend and you start to look at their feed and it seems like the feed is just all negative. And the challenge is this friend is someone who believes or who claims to be a believer, who claims to be a fellow Christian. So I guess the question would be in that situation for you, what would a good Christian do? You have this family member that has known you all of your life. And you know that the holidays are coming up. And hopefully we'll be able to celebrate Thanksgiving this year. If not, for sure, hopefully Christmas. But the holidays are coming up. So you know that you're going to see this uncle or you're going to see this aunt. And the problem is whenever you see this uncle or aunt, they have a hard time accepting the changes that you've made in your life. And all they do is remind you of how much you have failed, the mistakes in your life, the shortcomings in your life. Here's the question. What would a good Christian do? You're in a group and it's a, maybe it's a singles group, but you're in this group together and it's a Christian group. But there's this one guy that comes. He's really creepy. So creepy that you see him hitting on the girls. Although you know that this is not what that group is all about. But that's what he does. So here's the question. What would a good Christian do? I just want to encourage you, maybe think about some scenarios that you have in your own life. Where you find yourself dealing with people who are difficult. Where you find yourself wrestling through that. What would a good Christian do? Now, I will tell you the way that I was raised when it came to being a good Christian. Because you're taught terms like Christians are are peaceful, they are loving, they are accepting, they're forgiving, they're graceful. So when you're in a situation when it comes to dealing with someone who's difficult, as a Christian, I was told that you're supposed to keep the peace. And here's what keep the peace really meant. Keeping the peace really meant that you don't address issues. You don't address the challenges. You just kind of bite the bullet because what you don't want to do is you don't want to ruin the opportunity to be a good Christian witness to that person. Even more so if the person is a believer. That you're supposed to be forgiving and encouraging and you're supposed to be uplifting You have this idea of kumbaya. Let's all come together and let's all support each other. Let's love one another in the name of Jesus. 
Because that is what a good Christian is supposed to do. That's the way that I was raised. That you don't, you don't wrestle, rustle people's feathers, that you, you just kind of keep quiet, that you are just accepting, that you are just the model guy or the girl. And it, it sounds, well, no, I won't even say that. I was going to say it sounds good in theory, but the truth is it doesn't. It, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good that as a believer, you are told that you're supposed to bite your tongue when you see injustice and just kind of be peaceful. Don't rustle any feathers. Just kind of let it be what it is. Just bite your tongue. When you see someone mistreating another, you just bite your tongue. When it comes to taking a step to do what you can to protect the innocent, sometimes what you need to do is just bite your tongue. And I will tell you, that is not the recipe for creating a good Christian. That's the recipe for creating a good codependent person. (laughs) A person who's driven by approval. A person who's driven by acceptance. That is actually what it's creating. And the question is, how healthy is that? How healthy is that? How good is that? And it goes back to what we started with. Here's the question. As a good Christian, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? Well, I think if... We are called to be Christians. The term Christian means to be Christ-like. So I guess the best thing to do is to begin to go through the scriptures and start to look at how did Jesus handle people that were difficult? How did Jesus handle people that should have known better? How did he handle it? And as you begin to read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you begin to see Jesus' interaction, you'll notice something. That when it came to interacting with people who were believers in his time, are followers of God in his time, one of the things that Jesus did is he dealt with things. He was not afraid to confront issues. And I believe that this is what the Gospels, this is what God is calling us to make a commitment to do as well. To not be afraid. Because sometimes the most loving thing that you can do is to call someone on their stuff. Is to call them out on their stuff. The reality is if we do not do that, then they will not grow. But I also think about this in in John chapter 2, starting at verse 15. It says, it was nearly the time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. 
Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over the tables. Then, going over to the people who sold the doves, he said to them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. So I, I want to take a step back and I want to give you a picture of what's going on. And then hopefully this will help you to understand Jesus's response. Back in Jesus's time, during the time of the Passover, what would happen is people would go to the temple and when they got to the temple, they would make sacrifices at the temple. But now here's the thing. If you, because it's not like they had Israel Airlines, you know, back in that time. It's not like you could jump in the car and drive 60 miles. So if you had to make a 60-mile journey, you were doing that on foot or you were doing it by animal. So you couldn't actually bring your sacrifice with you. So what would happen is people would show up at the temple and then they would buy the things that they needed to buy in order to be able to do the sacrifices. And it's interesting. It was also according to the level of wealth that someone had. So people that were really wealthy would buy cattle. Then the next level down would be sheep. And then the next level down would be doves. Which is all based on what you could afford. But here's what Jesus noticed. The reason why he says, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace is he began to notice that those who were doing the selling were doing the gouging. You know how it is. The reason why people actually went out during COVID-19 to stockpile toilet paper is because then they would actually be able to charge an exorbitant amount because it was something that was in need. Or I've even noticed this with Pine Saw. As soon as the announcement was made that Pine Saw now is great for being able to kill COVID, then Pine Saw emptied in the stores, just like Lysol did, but now Pine Saw does. And if you go online and if you look at Pine Sol now, what was $10 to buy is now $30 to buy. Why? Because it's something that's in demand. It is something that is needed. And that's exactly what happened at the temple. They knew you needed this in order for you to be able to make the purchases. So that's why Jesus was upset because he saw people gouging others. And then the money lenders. So let's say, for example, you come from a foreign land and now you've come in order for you to be able to do the sacrifices, but you have the currency from your own country. So you'd have to exchange your currency. What they would do is they would go to the money changers. But what they found, what Jesus saw was that the money changers were giving people a completely unfair exchange for their money. But again, people had nowhere to go. That's why Jesus turned over their tables with their coins. So literally... What Jesus was taking a stand against was not against just coming in and being able to use sacrifices and being able to get what you needed for your sacrifices. What he was taking a stand against was people using the temple as an excuse to be able to make money in such a way that they would charge others an exorbitant amount. So it wasn't about, hey, let me help you worship God. Let me help you be at this place where you can come and adore him. No, it was, let me pad my pockets. And when Jesus saw that, 
he was literally upset. And the reason why Jesus was upset is because, again, these people knew better. They knew better. They knew their purpose. They knew they were supposed to be creating a space for worship. But yet and still, they used it as a space to, like I said before, pad their pockets. Now, if you read through the scriptures, here's one of the things that you will find. Is you will find that for people who should have known better. Like there's a religious group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were these legalistic men who created all of these rules for the people to follow, but they wouldn't necessarily follow the rules themselves, or they would forget the heart about behind the rules. For example, they would say things like, hey, when you come to church on the Sabbath, you cannot be healed on the Sabbath. They actually got angry at Jesus for healing people on the Sabbath. But Jesus would say, well, wait a minute, that, that doesn't seem right. The whole goal of the Sabbath is to reconnect with God. So what better way to reconnect with God than to heal someone? There was a story of a woman who came to a church and she, she came to the synagogue and she was bent over. And so Jesus said to her, woman, you know, you can be healed. The guys that were there said, hey, you know what? Come back to the synagogue on your own time. Come back in another time. And Jesus was like, wait a minute, this woman needs to be healed. And there's another example in John chapter 9, where there's a guy who was born blind and Jesus heals the guy. He heals the guy and the people are more upset that Jesus healed the guy than they are on the Sabbath than they are about having joy that here's a guy that was blind and now he could see. Or there was another example of a person who was, who was lame on the mat, paralyzed on the mat. Jesus says, hey, pick up your mat and walk. So the guy picks up the mat. He happens to be doing it on the Sabbath day. Here's what the guys notice. On the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to be carrying a mat because that's considered work. So they see this guy. They know this guy. They know this guy is someone who could not walk at one point. Yet, they tell him, well, hey, man, what are you doing carrying your mat? And he basically says, hey, Jesus healed me and told me to pick up my mat and walk. And they're more, more focused on the fact that he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath than the fact that he is walking again. He's walking again. So for people that were, were like that, that put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, <laughs> for people that were like that, what Jesus would do is he would lay into them something fierce. He would, he would do so lovingly, but he would call them out and he would challenge them and he would challenge them. Now, for those who were not Christians that didn't know any better, you know what Jesus would do is he would show them grace and he would show them mercy. And you cannot expect someone who is not a Christian to act like a Christian. And I'm going to say something, and you will probably agree with me and say that this is also true. Unfortunately, for us as Christians today, we've gotten that twisted. And it seems like the people that we excuse are the Christians who know better. And the people who we condemn are the people who are not Christians really don't know better. Something's wrong with that formula because it's not Christ. 
And we need to change that. But the thing is, we need to love others enough to confront issues. To confront issues. And when something's wrong, when something is really wrong, we must make the commitment to be able to say, hey, as a believer, I am going to challenge this and address this. I read some quotes on Sunday that I thought were really good. And one was from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said, a man dies when he refuses to stand for that which is right. A man dies when he refuses to stand up for justice. A man dies when he refuses to take a stand for that which is true. Another quote by Ellie Weisel who says, we must always take sides. Neutrality, neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And Archbishop Desmond Tutu, this is probably my favorite one. If you are a neutral, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. Many of us have heard that part, but I love what's after that. If an elephant has his foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. So again, here's the point is as a believer, we are called to call out injustice. We are, we are called to do that, especially when that injustice is coming from someone else who claims to be a follower of Christ. We are called to do that. So it's really important that we make a commitment to understand that. I love the scripture in, in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. One of the first things he says is, is, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. In other words, for me to be a, a peacemaker, again, I must be willing to go to a place that is absent of peace. I must be willing to step into a situation that's absent of peace. In order for me to be a peacemaker, I have to go to a place where I have to make peace. <laughs> but I think sometimes what we become more focused on is being a peacekeeper as opposed to, as opposed to being a peacemaker. So a peacekeeper wants to kind of keep things calm, wants to not address the issue. And the problem is if I don't address the issue, then I keep the status quo. And if the status quo is in a position of being that which is unjust, then I will continue to allow that. Is there a way that I can be a Christian and yet address these things in such a way that I demonstrate love? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there also has to be a time where we make a commitment to protect those who cannot protect themselves or to protect others. And I'll go back to... The situation that I talked about before, that if you're in a singles ministry, and if you know that there's a guy that's coming to pick up women, well, that actually was a legitimate illustration of something that happened in my life. Now, I wasn't the guy doing the picking up. <laughs> Let me make that really clear. Plus, I ain't got that good of a game. <laughs> Let me make that clear, too. But what happened is there's this guy that was coming, and he was making the women uncomfortable. 
my biggest fear was we had women that were coming that were brand new to Christianity. Some of them weren't even Christians at all. And so I felt like I needed to protect those women from this guy. So I actually approached the guy and I said, dude, this has to stop. This has to stop. And then when I found out that it hadn't, because I had another woman come and complain to me that he tried to pick up on her afterwards, then I said to him, dude, I'm sorry, but you're not allowed to come anymore. Now, here's the question. What does a good Christian do? Because sometimes what we do in the name of being a good Christian is we try to make it as comfortable as possible for the oppressor. And we stand up in such a way that the oppressor begins to have free reign over the oppressed. And at some point, what we have to be willing to do as believers is we have to be willing to stand in a gap. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he was flipping over the tables. He was standing in the gap. He was standing in the way of the oppressors. And basically, by driving them out of the temple and flipping the tables over, he was simply saying, this stops now. And there are times as believers where we must lock arms and stand in the way of oppression and say, this stops now. It stops now. Because I must make a commitment to protect the victim or the potential victim, to protect the innocent. I must make a commitment to do that. So I can't just let this slide by. I, I can't just let this go. And that's the challenge that I want to give us as believers, is that it's, it's time for us that when we see injustice, when we see something that is wrong, when we see, especially like I said before, when the one who is doing the wrong is a fellow believer who should know better, then I have an opportunity to choose who will I offend? Who will I offend? Do I offend the one who is not a believer, but who is the victim of the innocent by not saying anything? And if I do not, then I am on the side of the oppressor, as the quotes mentioned before. Or do I take a stand and do I risk offending the Christian? Do I risk offending the believer? Well, I'll tell you now, if I had a choice, I'm going to offend the believer. I'm going to offend the one who calls themselves the Christian. Because hopefully, if they really have made a commitment to Christ, then hopefully their eternal destiny is secure. But for the one who's not a Christian, I must make sure that I create an environment in such a way that it, be, it becomes easier for them to hear the message of Christ. I must make a commitment to do that. That's what I'm called to do. Being a good Christian means that we have to address those issues. So going back to the illustration that I gave before, yes, you talk to the guy that is picking up on, trying to pick up on girls in the singles group. Yes, you talk to your friend on Facebook to say, hey, what you're saying here does not represent Jesus Christ. It doesn't. And then you begin to challenge that. My wife and I have done that on Facebook. We have done that. 
And the beauty of that is that we, again, have seen people who are not Christians who will say, wait, I'm interested in finding more about you and about your faith because of the way that you're taking a stand, because they see God being honored and what it is that we're trying to do. When they see that we take a stand against racism, when they see that we take a stand against sexism, when we stand, when, we, when they see that we take a stand against communication that represents a form of hate, when they see that, they see, wow, here's a Christian that is trying. And that opens the door. It really does. It opens the door. And some of this you may have heard me say before, but I, but I felt like it's important. And again, it, it needs to be said, but we are, we are called to address the issues. We are called to address the issues. Now, I also want to encourage you, though, that when you do address the issues, do not allow the person with whom you are addressing to pull you into a quarrel. Because here's one of the things I have found. I have found that people who are broken, and can you be a Christian and be someone who's broken? Yes. Yes, you can. Because there's still healing that needs to happen in your life. So yes, you can. And here's one of the things that I found about broken people. is broken people love to quarrel. They really do. I talked about this on Sunday as well. Because what happens with, when you're broken is there is a war that is happening inside of you. In James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? So there is a war that is happening inside of that person. And you must do your best to not allow them to pull you into the quarrel. Although I'll tell you, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it is difficult. When I see someone that is justifying racism, to justify it, whether they're black or they're white. For you that are black that are listening, I think I love you enough to call you out as well. Because I have been around black people who will say, well, you know, black people can't be racist. There's a theological word for that. Malarkey, baloney. No, <laughs> not true. As a black person, you can be a racist. But see, what happens is with, with black people, what we have a tendency to do, if we think that way, there are usually two things that go along with that. One, they will say, hey, well, as a black person, I can't be a racist because I don't have power. See, you can only be a racist when you're in a position of power. To that, then what I've said, what I'll say is you have bought into the message that racism has taught you. Because what racism teaches you, if you are the recipient of that racism, is that you have no power. Is that you have no power. So then by saying, I can't be racist because I have no power, means that you have accepted the message that the racist has taught you that you have no power. Here's the flip side of that. Then does that mean that you can be racist? Let's say you do believe that. Well, does that mean that you can be racist when you do get a position of power? 
when you become a manager, when you open your business, when you get a political position, doesn't mean that you can't become a racist then. Wow. Something to think about. But I will tell you, as a, as a black person, you can be a racist. And I feel like it's my responsibility to love you enough to call you out on that. So some of the conversations that I've had have been with people who are black that are racist and also with people who are white that are racist. I've had conversations on both sides of the coin. But there is a difference. There is a difference between when you're talking to someone who's willing to say, you know what, I struggle with this. And you're right. I, I need to work on this. I'll be honest with you. I struggle with racism in my life. I really did. You know, when I grew up as a kid, I grew up in actually all across America. Well, not all across America. I, I moved around a lot between Kentucky and Michigan and here in California. I, I would say I didn't really settle down until about the eighth grade. But again, most of my life I spent around black people. That was the, that was basically the experience that I was raised with. So that was the mindset that I was raised with. That was the thought process that I was raised with. And, and so there was this part of being raised with, with being proud of your, of my ethnicity being proud of my heritage. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But also, as being honest with you as a black person, that affected the view that I had towards Asians. It affected the view that I had towards whites. And I will tell you, I was a racist. I was a racist. And that continued until I got into college. And then once I started to be around other people of different colors and different backgrounds, slowly but surely, it, it, it really began to change. And I began to see that the same thing is true. And I'm not going to even, I'm not going to, I almost said some of the stereotypes. I'm not going to even say some of the stereotypes because it gives them power. But I will say this, that I bought into some of them. And as I began to be around people who were different than me, I began to see the ability to move beyond those stereotypes. But I had to be willing to confront it. And so if you're in that conversation with someone who is mature, who is mature, who's willing to say, you know what, I have a problem in that area. Thank you for pointing that out. Help me to be able to grow. Then I will say, continue that conversation. But if it's someone that is quarrelsome, who takes a stand, don't assume that people who are taking a stand on the side of racism, that they're taking it from a position of strength. They're not. They're taking it from a position of brokenness. And broken people love to pull you into their quarrel. Because if they pull you into their quarrel, then it takes the focus off the quarrel that is happening inside of them. So that's why it's important that you don't allow yourself room to buy in to what they're trying to pull you into. And that brings us to what we said on Sunday, which is, you know, what happens when, let's say, for example, I, I talked about that relative who continues to judge you, who continues to judge you, who continues to judge you. And, and there are certain people in your life that you feel like no matter what you do, 
You just can't get through because they refuse to allow the negativity to let go. They refuse to let it go. What do you do in that situation? Then you do as the scriptures encourage us to do. You allow them to move on. Now, I don't know if that means breaking the relationship. That's something that you have to decide. Or if it just means giving one another space. Let me, let me just give myself space to, to step back. And if that person approaches you and says, hey, you know what? I've noticed that you haven't been around as much. Is there a reason why? And if you explain the reason why and why you're taking a step back, and if they go, oh, man, I didn't realize that, then maybe you're able to carry on a conversation. But if they go, well, you know, that's just your problem, then I say, keep your space. Keep the step in. <laughs> keep the step in. But, but you have to decide, is it a relationship that can be reconciled? Because sometimes the answer is, if the answer to that question is yes, then sometimes the answer is just space. But if you see that this person is poison, 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 and they refuse to change, then maybe it might be wise to cut them out of your life. Maybe it might be. Now, sometimes people will hear that and they will say, well, is that the good Christian thing to do? Is that the good Christian thing to do? Well, yeah, <laughs> it is. Sometimes letting people go is the most loving thing that you can do. Because if I have to argue with you to convince you to, to think the way that I think or to believe the way that I believe, then here's the truth is, is I'm not necessarily showing you love. It's force. And sometimes I need to love you enough to let you go. Which brings me back to the Sting song, right? Free, free, set them free, right? And I know that that pitch was terrible. I apologize for that. But, you know, if you love somebody, set them free. Now, I know that he was talking about romantically. I'm, maybe that might be your case too. But I'm not talking about romantically. But sometimes you need to, man, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about my pitch. That was horrible. <laughs> Sorry about that. But, but sometimes you do. Sometimes you need to love people enough to be able to say goodbye. Now, if they come back and they ask you for forgiveness and healing, that's a different story. And maybe you do open the door back. Once again, maybe you're cautious, being wise. And let me tell you this too. It is important that you forgive. But forgive and trust are two very different things. So it is important that you understand that you forgive them for what it is that they've done to you, for the way it is that they treated you. But trust says, I do not put myself in that position for you to mistreat me or mishandle me once again. Forgiveness is given. That's why it's called forgiveness. In forgiveness, the person that you're really setting free is yourself. And you are saying, I refuse to allow this negativity to capture my heart, my life, my mind, my spirit. I refuse to do so. So I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to let it go because I need to let it go off me. Now, letting it go doesn't mean that I let you completely back in my life once again to do it to me once again. No, 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 no. Forgiveness is given, but trust is earned. And so they need to show that they're committed to growing or committed to changing. And if you see that, then that's when you can make the decision of how far you're willing to open up the door to allow them into your life once again. But that's completely up to you.
completely up to you. So I wrapped this podcast up was asking the same question that I asked when I started. What would a good Christian do? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you are listening to us on our website, uh, you can also find us on Spotify. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever it is that you can download your podcast, you will find us there. And then also, I just want to encourage you, be praying for our country, be praying for the, the vice presidential debate, whatever side you're on, just be praying for them. Matter of fact, also be praying for the person that is on the side that you're not on, because we need to love everyone enough to pray for them. Pray for them too. Pray for the responses that we're going to see. Pray for healing to happen in our nation. Let us pray, 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 pray. Let's be committed to doing that. Next week is our mobile food bank. So if you know someone who is hungry or in need of food, please invite them to come and get fed next Wednesday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. We will be passing our food. So please invite them to come. If they cannot make it and you want to come get food for them, you are more than welcome to do that. Now, this Sunday is actually going to be the last Sunday of the politics and religion series. So I do hope that you will be able to join us for that. And remember, encounter is about three things. Love up. Let's look at how we can learn how to love God more. Love out. What is one way that you can love your fellow man better this week? And love in. What is one step that you can take this week to love yourself better? Well, take care. God bless you. And we'll see you once again next week. Thank you so much for joining us for the Encounter Community Church podcast. If you could do us a favor, whatever service it is that you're listening to this podcast on, please rate and review us. If there's anything that we can do better, please let us know. But by rating and review, it also make our podcast easier for others to be able to find. If you would like to support us at Encounter financially with what it is that we're doing to make a difference in our community, whether it's the mobile food bank, whether it's serving at North High School, or making a difference, again, in our community, feel free to head over to our website, encountercommunity.church. Click the link that says online giving. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way when we post new live streams or new vlogs, you'll be updated. As well as please head over to Facebook and like our page. That way when we post new podcasts, again, new vlogs, new live streams, or have church events, you'll be updated and know what's going on here at Encounter. As we said before, thank you so much. We're so glad to have you with us. And we look forward to you being a part of the podcast next week.